Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome, I'm Sam Delaney and this is The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the usual bollocks. My guest this week is the author, motivational speaker and charity founder Lennox Rogers. Lennox was raised in Oxford in the 1970s as part of a Jamaican immigrant family. His early life was defined by racism, violence and sexual abuse and he soon ended up in care, then Borstal. In adulthood, He became a violent criminal with multiple convictions and years spent in prison until, eventually, he started to face the childhood traumas that had led him down such a destructive path. Today, he runs the Refocus Project, a charity he founded to help mentor young people who've had a hard start in life. This interview is pretty brutal and includes some descriptions of violence and sexual abuse that some listeners will find distressing. But there's a lot to be learned from Lennox's dramatic and brutal life. I hope you get something positive from listening to it. Lennox, welcome to The Reset. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me and the listeners today. Uh, Lennox, uh, let's start by you telling me a bit about what your childhood was like. You grew up in Oxford, right? Yes, um, I grew up in Oxford after um, being born here and then being taken over to the Caribbean um, for until I was three years old, mm. um, and then I came back to the UK. So um, my early childhood was in Oxford. Um, it was very difficult times um, culturally. I had to, um, I had the Caribbean culture, mm. and then the English culture, and um, you, I quickly forgot. Um, sometimes the Caribbean culture um, having mixed around with friends and there was a lot more freedom um, in the English culture uh, and um, than in in my household and so um, I tried to um, 
bring that English culture in there, um, some of that freedom, and um, it quickly uh, it got smacked out of me, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my parents were very strict, very, um, they were religious as well, and um, in my early years, things weren't too bad when I say my early years, sort of, um, t- till I was about five, and then um, things got really bad. Um, I experienced a lot of racism. Um, there were lots of signs on sort of people's houses who rented out rooms to say no blacks, no Indians, no Irish, no Chinese, no dogs. Um, there was a lot of that. Um, and there wasn't many black people in Oxford where I grew up. And um, there were parts of Oxford that did have, uh, that was multicultural, but where I was, um, you, you know, there was only like seven or eight of us at school. And every day going to school, um, a white young lad would stand in the middle of the playground and shout blacks against whites. And the whole school would line up one end. There would be seven or eight of us the other end. And um, some Irish and Scottish would come on our side. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think they just wanted an excuse to fight the English. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, the teachers would be lined up in the classrooms, um, placing bets and no. have this big tear up, um, you know, and this was all sort of before the nine o'clock bell and this was Monday to Friday. So um, we got beaten up a lot and um, they would call us names. I was quite naive at first, you know, they would say things to me that they would tell me that I'm going to be all white in the morning. And stupidly, I'd wake up thinking, you know, having a look at myself. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. my friends who were a bit more clued up had to tell me, look, Lennox, they're just being racist. They're being horrible. Yeah. Um, because I, I was completely naive, you know, even when they said to me that I, lived in the jungle and things like that. And I used to think, hang on, when I was over in the Caribbean, we weren't in the jungle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that was the experience. And it it also, um, I also experienced the racism from staff. I uh, got into a lot of trouble at school um, because because of the racism initially, you know, we had gangs of kids because um, where I grew up as well, there were gangs everywhere. They weren't called um, gangs. They were they were called boot boys, but they were gangs. Um, and was it was this the seventies, Lennox? Late sixties and early seventies, yeah. Right. Um, so the, the, so is this when skinheads were a thing? On the they had, you had skinheads, you had mods, you had teddy boys, um, you had yeah. football firms. Um, yeah. And what happened was every area had these boot boys. And um, they, um, I used to, when I went to school, um, gangs of kids would wait for you outside school. 
um, and we would try to get out the other end of school and they they would have a gang waiting there and a gang at the other end. And um, I got quite friendly with a mixed race um, guy um, and his mum was married to um, a Jamaican, but she was white English. And she used to sometimes um, come and rescue us because she lived across the road from the school. But um, essentially we had to fight our way through the gang to be able to get home. And um, this was a daily thing. So I, I didn't just suffer the racism in the school, in the community, um, I did as well. And I got into lots of fights and got the blame for it. Um, and uh, it was very difficult, um, very hard. So what I'm hearing is violence was just an unavoidable part of life. I had to learn to try and defend myself because, um, you know, people didn't just stop um, these gangs fighting you. Um, you know, uh, you were black, you walk into a shop and all eyes are on you. Um, you know, you, you just had it all the time. So that was when you were out at school or on the streets. What was home like? Was that a, a violent place too? Home was very violent, yeah, because um, I wanted some freedom. Um, I, My parents were very strict. They expected me to be seen and not heard. They expected that when I went to school, I come back, I take off my school clothes, I put on some clothes, they call it home clothes, and they expected me to get on with some kind of homework or whatever. And I was rebellious, um, you know, because I, I struggled to learn at school. And um, the, the few friends I had, I wanted to be with. Um, and um, so my parents, when I didn't follow their way, I got beaten. I got beaten with the belt. Um, I've been beaten with a slipper. I've been beaten with sticks, with coat hanger by other members of my family. I was the only um, boy amongst seven girls, um, you know, and um, it was very strict. My sisters didn't like the fact that I was a boy um, and my father um, expected them to do most of the work and things like that. So I got bullied from my sisters as well and they would wait for my parents to be out of the house and then they would make me they would teach me how to wash my own clothes, how to sew, how to uh, prepare my own food and iron as well, so that I could. They didn't have to do it. Wow! <laughs> so, but, but it was, you know, um, they were bigger than me, and they beat the crap out of me as well. Can you tell me um, uh, a bit about your experience with your godfather as well? Well. Um, Every Saturday, my mum would bake bread, coconut bread and um, plain bread and some cakes and things. And um, it was a cultural thing. And she gave out to friends and family members. Um, and um, I had to take bread and cakes to my godparents' um, house. Um, which um, was probably um, uh, sort of almost um, 
well, less, uh, almost half a mile away or something like that. Um, and um, when I went there, um, uh, my god um, father's wife, who was like an adopted godmother, um, uh, she was very nice. And she had two daughters. They were very nice. Um, but he, um, you know, when it was just me and him in the lounge, he would try to um, sit next to me and put his hands on my leg and move his hands up towards my groin. And I would be trying to move away from him and um, often moving away up um, along the sofa until um, you can't move anymore, you know. And um, it was only when someone came into the room that, you know, he um, stopped and he was always staring at you, um, you know, with, with this kind of disgusting, lustful look. And it was very uncomfortable. Um, but it was confusing as well because he had conversations with you that he never got at home. He took an interest in, in, in mm -hmm. things. So he was um, grooming as well. And um, so, you know, I remember, you know, after suffering years of it, um, saying to him, what, you know, as you begin to understand more, I asked, you know, why can't you just um, love me like a father? And his response was, he, he does love me like that, but he also loves me another way. <clears throat> and um, this was very difficult because I got into a lot of trouble. And by the time I was 11, I'd been to court five times. Things were, um, you know, quite peak, so to speak. Um, it was quite um, bad at my family home that um, social services got involved. I was put on um, a section 20 um, and eventually my mum signed to be over um, to the care of the authorities for good. And I was in lots of children's homes, assessment centres, observation assessment, um, hostels for naughty boys and things. And um, uh, I ran away. Um, they used to let me stay there, you know, during the week. And then at weekends, it was policy to try and um, get you to go home for the weekend. And, um, you know, so that you can bond with your family. But I would be at my family home for, a, for less than a day. And then I would be back in care. And I found the... Um, regime and routine and the freedom much better than being at home where I was. And it, I was away from some of the racists. There were racism in the homes I was in, so I had to contend with that as well. But it wasn't as bad. In care, I saw a lot of um, issues. There were a lot of um, children with mental health issues. Um, I, I, I was with kids that used to get um, metal, whether it be um, a, a butter knife um, or um, 
uh, an ordinary household object that was metal and they would rub it on their skin, mm. on their arms until it started bleeding badly. So they would scrape the skins off um, and um, consequently um, they had to have lots of bandages, but they had these types of issues. And um, so I, I saw a lot of um, people who had mental health issues who came from back. What, what, look, looking back, sorry to interrupt, but looking back to that time, what do you think your mental health issues were at that age? How were they coming out? Was it just do anger and violence or, or what? Um, trauma, you know, I, I think the experiences I had <clears throat> up to them um, had traumatised me and um, I lashed out when um, people did things to me that I didn't like. Um, the the abuse, the sexual abuse I suffered, because, you, you know, at 13 I got raped, but the sexual abuse I, I suffered really affected my relationships with, with girls. Um, I went to one of these um, children's homes. It was a, actually the, the assessment centre was the first place it happened. And um, um, these two girls, they were trying to jump on boys. Um, <laughs> and um, I just didn't know how to respond. Um, and um, I, because I, I struggled to have someone touch me, you know, right. and um, so I could see the um, effects of that. But um, I struggled um, because I, I was always being shouted at. There was no relationship in my home. I got beaten with the belt a lot um, to the point where my sisters, when I came in the house, if I'd done something wrong that they didn't like, um, my sisters were involved. So what they'd do, when I came in, one of my sisters would go and block that um, exit from where I just came in and they'd yeah. all stand around um, blocking exit so that I could um, get um, beaten by my father um, or my mother. And my dad, um, I mean, I had lots of thick um, whale marks. Um. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There were thick lumps of it where my skin just swollen up all over my back or my front um on the odd occasion my face um but and my legs um and the screams and many times my neighbors called the police um the worst time was when i went out playing and i went to another area <clears throat> and i got friendly with this girl um and her parents were very bad races. <laughs> and uh, um, so she phoned my house one day and my mum, she went ballistic. She answered the phone and was sort of like asking this girl, you know, who are you? What do you want him for? And everything like that. Girlfriend, what girlfriend? <laughs> and uh, she turned to me <clears throat> and um, in the Caribbean patois, it's like, boy, you know, you, you think you're a, a boy, you think you're a big man that you can have a girlfriend. And she beat me so bad. And then that wasn't enough. She went and called my dad to beat me. And my dad um, was beating me um, and um, slamming my head into the wall. It was a visit at that time from my godfather who came to the house. And he intervened. And I had... Um, a cut across my um, eyebrow and my godfather um, put butterfly stitches on it. Um, but things were bad. I, I mean, I'd been to hospital before. I'd run away naked into the street before to get away from beatings. Um, right. it, it was horrendously bad. It was so bad. Um, you know, my neighbours, they had called the police but because um the laws were different then um the law said that um police were not really allowed to get involved in domestics i was traumatized <laughs> i didn't realize i was traumatized but i was you know i just mm. thought i was reacting kind of normal but i was traumatized i was traumatized from being in school and um, you know, if the teacher pops out of the room and um, certain kids decide to call you um, the N-word and other mm -hmm. racial words and, you you know, or throw things at you and you, you get into fights in there and you're the one who gets expelled, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. going into this um, these assessment centres and children's homes was a completely new experience. I was with children that were also traumatised from having drunken, um, uh, you know, stepfathers that beat their mums and things like that. And, um, you know, I got on with some of them very well, but I, I saw the way that they were dealing with it through um, self-harm. You know, um, and they introduced me to smoking at a young age and and stuff like mm. that. So, um, you know, I learned from from these boys and girls some things. Um, it, they moved me around to so many different um, homes and places so much that the next place they were going to send me was um, detention centre. 
um, and then Borstal. But um, they decided to give me a chance and they sent me to an approved school way in Hampshire. And um, that was a, a really horrible experience as well at first. Um, and I got groomed there to um, be a pimp. But um, so this was after being raped by my my godfather because I'd run away from these from, from an observation assessment centre where they said to me that your behaviour um, is so bad. We're going to they put they had um, prison cells underneath um, <clears throat> this observation assessment centre, um, like in a basement, and they were going to put me in one of them, and then they were going to transfer me to. Um, a detention centre and um, I um, ran away and I um, so I ran away with um, another kid and um, we thought we'd try and get some money so I thought I could ask my godfather for money and um, that's how um, I got raped um, you know and after well, because you, you went there asking for money and then he did that to you. Yeah, um, it, well, essentially, um, uh, me and my friend who ran away with me, we parted ways by then. Um, he had somewhere he could go and get help. Um, it, there was never the plan that when we ran away, we were all going to stay together. But I, I was trying to survive on the run. And... Um, so I asked my godfather for £10. And somehow the way he talked to me, I mean, it's just he groomed me at the time and talked me into um, not saying to me, oh, I'm going to rape you or going to, you know, he used words differently um, that if I if I let him do certain things, he, I would get this ten pound. Um, and um, so the rape happened. Uh, it was an excruciating experience that I can remember as if it was yesterday. But mm. it took away everything else. It seemed like the racist abuse and stuff didn't didn't um, sort of um, kind of have the same feeling as it did to me before. I was able to walk around as if I was I wasn't in any trouble and, and as if there wasn't no gangs. I didn't care about anything else. I went home and had several tried to have several baths, but because you have to put 50p in <laughs> for the hot water. And I got into trouble for that as well, but I just couldn't wash away the feeling. I tried to tell my family, um, and they, they just thought, you're just a liar. You know, my mum, being um, a Christian, she used to say to me that, you know, my tongue's going to catch on fire and you're going to burn in hell. And she so used to always call me a liar and a thief. And um, I tried to tell one of my sisters and they just thought, ah, it's just not the sort of thing adults do. And even my best friend, he just laughed, he, 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 you know. Um, and um, 
So I clammed up for many years. Um, and mm. after that happened, it, I, I, I became a ticking time bomb. Um, I just had this rage. When I, whenever I fought, yeah. um, I just went into a rage. And I didn't realize that um, the abuses, um, verbal, mental, and sexual, was having this effect on me. And um, I survived in these places. And if I got into an altercation with another um, kid, um, I, I, was, I was in rage. I, um, I was like a madman, you know, some evil person that just wants to kill you. I just, um, this, this um, other person came out of me. So you went through all of this pain um, and, and, you know, you weren't showing a lot of love. You went through all these things. What changed your behaviour so radically that you are the man you are today? What was the turning point? Well, after being in two gangs and as well and um, losing everything and ended up on the streets of, of London, um, you know, and doing 21 years in and out of prison, going to 16 different prisons. I was homeless on the streets of London and my body started to shut down. I'd been homeless for a little bit. I started to accept help. I had help from a, an ex-gang leader, uh, um, uh, the leader of a Hell's Angel chapter who had now become a chaplain in the prison in, in Wandsworth. He used to come and visit me every day. And it was this, it a, a culmination of all this stuff. And accepting the help. And... and uh, so did you, did, so was there an element of therapy? I had therapy. Um, I mean, I had had therapy when I went to Brendan Prison, um, but that's in my book. It, it wasn't, wasn't something that helped you. It was just what you, you felt, was it, was it necessary for you to sort of hit a state of being rock bottom before you kind of decided to change your life and change your behaviour? Yeah, I, I, I had hit rock bottom. I had tried suicide and everything, Um because um, I was tormented by mm. the traumas of my past. And I lived that torment every day, every night, throughout the day. Um, and it was a horrible place to be in. And um, so I, I had it rock bottom from going from um, a gang member who was an enforcer for a drug gang and um you know i worked also for an organized crime gang in london where you had police politicians east end gangsters business people of all sorts all these bankers that did frauds and everything and we met every week and it was just crazy and um i did 22 armed robberies with them so and um, i used to walk into a shop i love that pair of trousers and i love it in them colors and this size and i i i so going from that to nothing um and yeah. i had therapy in prison and um you, you know but it wasn't enough there wasn't enough I had there were what was left to do was 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 my choices was choosing mm. to do right 
you know, and I, I had to stop myself all the time. I mean, at one stage, I was the only person in prison that wanted to be there. Um, but so with all the help that I got, I still had to make right choices. And I, I had hit rock bottom, had lost everything. And I, I had to really want to change, not try to change to impress anyone. I had to accept every help that was given me. And mm. not only um, have that, um, I had to live the change every day. People, the staff, even the prison officers, started calling me. They say, "No, you, 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 you're just going to church because you're trying to work your ticket. Uh, you're trying to get mm. parole and all that." I, uh, and I didn't really care. Uh, and um, mm. so I, I, I lived this genuine life, and they began to accept that I was genuine in the end. And mm. um, you, you know. That voice I heard in the alley, it, it um, never stopped. It continued mm. through, you know. Um, I could tell you, if we had time, that some of the crazy things that happened that involved more of this voice. But, you know, you'd have to read the book. <laughs> well, we, we, we will definitely do that. Encourage everyone listening to. I mean, just briefly in the last couple of minutes, tell me a little bit about what it is you do now to help others. Um, I help run a charity that is um, works uh, to do early intervention and crime prevention. It um, encourages mentors and coaches young people um, who have been, um, you know, criminally exploited by these gangs. I, I help young people be aware of, um, you know, the gang predators seeking to you know, entrap them. I help people make right choices. I, I help young people turn their lives around, basically. I help them tackle their root issues. With the help and support of the team that we have, that's what we do. Um, but we work with young people from the age of eight to adults. We, um, you know, having lived that experience, so we use our lived experience to help people make um, right choices and, and turn their lives around. What would have made what would have made a difference to you if you could talk to your your let's say your thirteen or fourteen year old self now? What would have made a difference to you and made made you take a different path? Someone with with the lived experience who, who who knew what I was going through, who could speak from that place. So I never got that till I was till I'd hit rock bottom and met this. Um, ex-leader of a Hells Angel chapter who had turned his life around. Um, he was probably crazier than I was when he was doing his stuff. He turned his life around with the help of the same voice that I had. And he came and found me and visited me every day, helping me on my journey there. But if I'd have met someone like that when I was a teenager, um, I would have listened. It would have, it would have melted me really, and um, I would. I, it would have changed that rage I had inside of me to have someone who, who knew what I was going through, and it could speak right into that situation and help me to make other choices. I, I, I think um, that would have been the best thing for me at that time is to have someone who had been there and done it. 
who could talk to me. Well, Lennox, uh, I absolutely applaud all the, all the work you are doing, all the good you're giving back to society. And I also am really privileged that you've chosen, that you've put the time aside to share so much of your story and the, and the traumas that you've been through with me and the listeners to The Reset. So um, thank you so much. Now you're welcome, Sam. It's, it's great. <laughs> Thanks for having us, you know. Well, that was Lennox Rogers, a powerful story of redemption. Does being the victim of hate and abuse excuse his crimes later in life? No, it doesn't. And I don't think he would say it does either. But his story does confirm that love, understanding, compassion and empathy are what young people really need to stop them falling into the sort of destructive lives Lennox once lived. The fact that he's now devoted his life to showing that sort of compassion to young people is very inspiring. Do get in touch and let me know what you thought of our chat. And remember to subscribe to The Reset at sandelaney.substack.com for this podcast every week, plus a weekly newsletter and all sorts of other good stuff. Until next time, gang, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.